1: This week on Bowling with Favre, we got the legendary Dr. Phil.
0: Hey, this is Dr. Phil. Check out Bowling with Favre on any platform that you listen to your podcast. You do not want to miss it.
1: And coming up on next week's show, Tuesday the 30th, we're joined by rock legend and always outspoken my friend, Ted Nugent. Subscribe now everywhere you get your podcasts or stream the show for free at podcastone.com. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. And I have a first-time guest, but somebody who I've been a fan of for a while and have known for a little bit for a little while, and that's Dan Devine of The Ringer. And it was a really fun conversation going through kind of the league as we see it right now. Spent a lot of time on the West, but a little bit of time on the East as well. Suns, Nuggets, kind of the overall dynamics of the conference. I thought the conversation went in a lot of interesting directions. Runs about an hour. I hope you enjoy it.
0: Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Have really kind of you to ask me, and like this is like two Dannys from different coasts coming together. So I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, and it, it it's it was funny. I was I was I was rereading some of your stuff, kind of I guess you could call it preparing for this, and and there the two of us just like really have this open passion for watching everyone. So it kind of I, I think sometimes that can lead to a meandering conversation but i'm totally good with that and where i kind of thought of starting that was with phoenix um the last time i think you wrote about phoenix was in that like five most interesting teams after the deadline and you made a point that resonated with me then but that i've been thinking about i thought about now when i reread it which is there's this weird parallel the team i would compare it to is the uh the fourteen fifteen warriors where the phoenix suns like, have all of these different elements that we would normally think of as, like, being, oh, yeah, they're a contender, like, their point differential and the talent that they have on their team, and all these different things. And they, they have a good coach, even though money hasn't had the most robust playoff success in the, in the world. But Largely because they haven't done it before, a lot of people aren't thinking about them in that same context, and maybe that's right. You know, it often takes time. It often takes teams. You know, if we're if we're comparing regular season playoffs, sometimes it takes regular season successful teams some time to get in the playoffs. But the Suns have basically everything we're looking for.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's one of the issues when you look at or one of the things that's like so interesting about a season where there's no like one single dominant. Uh, you know, 800 pound gorilla, the dog that runs everything in the conference is like you can make the arguments for everybody. And when you can do that, I think part of the the challenge is like you got to like sort of fact check yourself or stress test it in, in the idea of like, well, what are they missing? And I mean, I where, you know, the other night against uh, against Utah, they went to uh, you know, Booker at the end of regulation instead of going to Chris Paul at the end of regulation. But like they've got two guys that you would trust about against just about anybody to create a good shot when when it matters. They've got a number one offensive engine, like a high usage score that can get his shot off against anybody in Booker and can score efficiently. Doesn't have also doesn't have to dominate the ball to do it. They've got, you know, multiple ways to get shooters open. They've got guys that can space the floor. Ayton can be a difference maker uh, defensively and on the glass. And that's like a third scoring option. It makes sense. The bench makes sense, though. You know, they, they're they're just solid everywhere. It's it's so weird to think about the Suns after the last decade as just like a professional basketball team, right? Like there's just nothing that feels like it's missing except for track record. And the only thing hanging over them is that this will be Booker's first run in the playoffs, that Chris Paul has not gotten to a finals and that there's not, you know, uh, there's, there's no sort of like shepherd to bring them there. And that's not nothing. I mean, you know, the value of that experience is it can be immense, but, if if all that you're left with is we just haven't seen them do it yet, I, I, then I, I don't know that that's a particularly compelling reason to decide that it can't be like stuff isn't until it is. And maybe that's what the case will be with them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the idea that stuff isn't until it is, is a very, it's a very apt way to think about the NBA. And that can be true whether, like, I mean, I was referencing recently someone, the first KG, Ray Allen, uh, Paul Pierce Celtics team, where it was like, you know, that that one was just like, they hadn't played together. You know, KG had made a conference finals, but it hadn't done that. And it's like, well, they're really good and it can work out. And with the Suns, part of why I've been more enthusiastic about their playoff viability than the Jazz, the Jazz is a wonderful team and, and all that, is there there are kind of two different threads that I like to think about in terms of like a, a team's playoff viability. So one of them is kind of you could think of it as variability. So it's like if a team tries to take away something you do, can you do something else? And that's usually offensively and defensively. So if the other team switches a bunch, then that basically the whole idea of switching in many ways is to make you to make the other team into an isolation team. Can you do something there? And I think the Suns can. I think that there are different ways they can attack. I wish Eaton were more aggressive in mismatches, but generally mm-hmm. speaking like they have they have the building block pieces and a, and their guards I think do a wonderful job in those circumstances. And then the other one is, I use the term undeniability. And so basically it's the idea is, is there something that you can do so well that the other team can't really, they can maybe tone it down, but they can't stop it. And so, I mean, LeBron is, I think, of the modern vintage, one of those truly undeniable Shaq, like, and, and, you know, kind of inspiring shack for that reason. You know, you could go through that. And that's the thing that I think is a little bit of a demerit for the Suns. But you know what? No team checks both boxes right now. Like, especially when you're factoring in combined offense and defense. And part of why I really like the Suns is that they they don't really leave any of those boxes really wanting. You know, like so you can there are certain stances where it's like, you know, a team can do two or three of those things well if you think about undeniability and versatility on offense and defense as separate boxes. But what that's what I like about the Suns is that you're, you're not sitting there with any of them saying, oh, that's a real problem for them. And those are the teams that I generally have a lot less faith in. Like an example of that could be those Raptors teams pre-Kawhi that won a bunch of games. But it's just like, yeah, but when, you, when things get tighter, they just don't have the personnel to like, basically to, to beat a switching team or, or anything else like that. Like Their guys aren't good enough to do that. And that ended up being primarily right. But I don't have those fears with Phoenix.
0: I think that uh, so much of it goes to the just the the general talent. Right. And I think a lot of that maybe it's it's going to be a really fascinating few or you know, a few months here for what we think about Devin Booker. Right. Like, yeah, because, because the answer to, to a lot of those things is, is there the guy who can just get, you know, get the bucket, who can make the play, who can uh, when whatever forces are arrayed against him can create. And so the Raptors teams never had that until they had Kawhi and and. You know, Kyle Lowry is a phenomenal player and DeMar DeRozan has been, you know, one of the best scorers uh, of his generation for, you know, a number of years. But it's different. And, you know, it's different when you see it. And that's, you know, Devin Booker looks looks like that. Right. I mean, it's I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me for where he's been the last 18, 20 games. But basically since or or right around, he didn't get selected at all. Not that it's not to draw, you know, correlation between say he got to, he didn't get picked as an all star, so then he lost his mind and started going crazy. But, like, basically, since ar- right around the time of all star selections, it's like high 20s on really great efficiency, and the three point shot came along. And if that's happening, and he can get to the rim whenever he wants, and he's like way more of a shot out of a cannon guy in transition than I think people realize, like, the athleticism plays in a different way because he plays at such a controlled pace in the half court. And then you, like, see him get out, and you're like, you yeah, know, this guy can get wherever he wants and generate a shot whenever he needs it and feel you feel confident about his ability to hit that against sort of whatever level of contest you can throw at him. If that holds up in the playoffs, and I think temperamentally, I would feel pretty good about Devin Booker being somebody who can carry over. I don't think he's going to be stirred by the moment, right? I think I, I, he seems like somebody that should be able to handle that fairly well. Then maybe, then, you know, Devin Booker goes from a guy who it's like, Yeah. Is it how real is it to like, okay no, Devin Booker is the kind of guy who can carry your offense in through those moments, through those, uh, you know, periods where options A and B are getting denied or whatever. And so I think that's really where it's schematically and systemically in terms of roster depth and construction. The, I think those questions are. I don't have questions about what Phoenix is. It then becomes like at the the moment of truth, what are you getting? And I feel like Booker's probably go. I I believe more now than I have before. You know, last season that Booker is the kind of guy who can create that in those moments and who can generate positive opportunities in those moments. And then you know, and we'll find out that you know that's the cool thing about you know not knowing this stuff is it's not so much you know who's going to be right, who's going to be wrong. It's we're all going to learn at the same time.
1: And also, it can change over time. Now, it 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 can only it is often true. You'll find out at a moment in time. But I mean, and the the that run that they had at the end of the Clippers game in the bubble that resonates. But that doesn't. That's just a data point. That doesn't mean he's going to be that guy forever, or he's going to be that guy in the playoffs. And something else that I think is really interesting about the Suns, and I, I still have never—I I would love for somebody who knows who can who can parse the numbers better than I can to go through this—is one of the elements of the Suns' offense is that they don't really get fouled a ton. Some of that is I, I've been fixated on you know Aiden not getting fouled enough, but also like Chris Paul, he generates he generates a lot of fouls in a specific way, but he isn't like this you know free throw machine, especially at this point in his career. And I think generally, like, so it can go both ways. Like, getting fouled is definitely a good thing. But relying on that as a foundational piece of your offense, I generally think of as a bad thing when it comes to the playoffs, because we know that the playoffs are differently officiated than the rest of the season. And so the Suns not needing not relying on that and it not being an important part of their kind of theory of the case offensively, I think in certain ways it's actually kind of a good thing. Because it's not like I mean, that's something that concerns me a lot about Trey Young eventually in the playoffs. I don't know if that'll be necessarily this year or what what this what the definition of success is, but that's become such a big part of his game. And if the refs, you know, Let's say they swallow the whistle 15% more often or even 25% more often. That becomes a big problem, but it's not one for Phoenix.
0: And that's a really great point about just the theory of the case, right? The idea of how you build your offense and what you want to – what you're trying to get on offense. And you know, the for the last, whatever, 15 years or so, the dominant idea has been – You want the Maury ball offense, right? You want to get as many opportunities at the rim, as many opportunities at the free throw line, and as many opportunities from beyond the arc, especially short corner, as you can. And just taking a quick look, I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now and at uh, frequency at the rim. And so some of the teams that are at the bottom of that list are bad teams, right? You know, like Orlando is at the bottom of that list. They're, you know, bad team. The Wizards near the bottom of that list, bad team. Down you get down to the bottom of frequency of attempts at the rim. You've got the Clippers, the Suns. Uh, 25th is Utah. 24th is Portland. 22nd, 23rd is Boston. 22nd is Denver. 20th is Philly. And so all of those teams are, are you know varying levels of seriousness in terms of playoff teams. Obviously Boston has had their issues, and you know Portland. It's a question of you know are they going to be able to defend well enough? But as you generate more of your offense, or you you orient more of your offense around these elite perimeter creators Uh, and Philly is sort of the outlier there too, because you imagine him be just constantly beating his way to the rim, but that's not really true. He's become this mid range sort of, uh, you know, monster over the course of this season, especially, and then generating his way to the line a ton as well. If you are building around, you know Damian Lillard. If you're building around, uh, you know Luka Doncic. If you're building around Booker and and CP3, uh, or you know the way that Kawhi and Paul George operate so much outside in as opposed to inside out, th- there's obviously it can be incredibly effective. Those offenses are some of them mo- are the absolute top of the league in terms of points a lot of points created per possession, right? But. That's the question of at what point in the playoffs does that wind up coming back to bite you? We've seen it so many times with Dame in the playoffs where it's once the ball gets trapped out, you know, the diminishing returns and what a Blazers possession can be. Obviously, some of that's also, you know, or that's that's eye of the beholder stuff, too, because they've also made deep playoff runs. They've gotten to the Western Conference finals. They've made the second round and been in tough series. So it's not necessarily that you can't win that way. It's just interesting to me when you think about like, what are the fatal flaws when when somebody, people have looked at the Clippers and said like, I just wish there was more, you know, North-South, more dynamism, you know, more pressure to the rim. And it's like, well that, uh, theoretically, those guys can create that when it matters, But then if you haven't seen it over the course of the full season, it's like at what point does your habit become an issue and at what point is it maybe not an issue at all if Kawhi is just, you know, daggering 20 footers for an entire series against elite defenses or against drops? Like I I think the the styles make fights of some of this and the way that teams think about what generates a a postseason offense that's sustainable and matters could wind up being a really fascinating thing to sort of see how it plays out over the course of the next couple of months.
1: And maybe the most interesting extreme of this is another team that I wanted to talk about, which is the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets currently using cleaning the glasses form, which I think is the right one. They they generate the fewest free throw attempts per, you know, per field goal attempt in the entire league. They're also eighth lowest in Rim like rim frequency, but they're the number four offense, and that doesn't look wrong at all. It doesn't; it's not funky at all, and it's because part of it is the geometry of the four that they can use. That they use Jokic differently, and part of it, like it's funny because I used to levy this criticism at their defense, and there are times when it's still true of. Sometimes when a team defends so i 'll use the defensive thing because I think in some ways this is easier to explain it. Sometimes a team doesn 't commit many fouls because they 're so far away from the guy that they 're not <laughs> committing fouls, and in many ways like that, so I criticized denver 's defense for that you know two years ago, three years ago when they you know and then they ended up losing to the blazers and everything else that had and the, that weird series against the spurs, but functionally, I think you can make the argument that that 's exactly what their offense is intending to do is that they They create so much space around the basket and, honestly, around the arc that they generate good shots without generating a ton of contact because there aren't guys there to contact.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Well, I think uh, another part of that – and it's funny because I went on the radio in Denver yesterday – And one of the things, the main things they wanted to talk to me about was like how much Nikola Jokic gets jobs by the refs and like the idea, like how how much more contact he should be, how much contact he's seeing, how many more calls he should be getting. I and mean, like the uh, inflection point there being Mike Malone getting himself run the other night, arguing about how Jokic yeah. is, is getting beat up and not getting enough calls. So yeah, may, maybe the um, you know, whatever, like the true free throw rate should be higher. I guess I don't know. Yeah, but, I would say
1: I would say maybe maybe they should actually be like twenty fifth instead of thirtieth. But like right. still, but like, even, it, so,
0: even so, yeah, you're still down the bottom third of the league, and like. Uh, I, yeah, that's, that's right. You know, I mean, the idea is, you know, the best shot is one you can make, right? And the, and the one you can make most often is probably going to be the open one. And so these offenses that can generate so you know, like spread it, like it's like a spread offense in football, right? Where like you know you want to get the, the play the ball the ball to the playmaker in space rather than trying to have to make him make contested catches all the time. And so when that becomes a a challenge, you know, a challenge is like when you can't when you're not making those plays, when you're not having those completions or getting those those open looks or connecting on the open looks, and then you need some engine of points. But yeah, to your point, as you said, like this has been the argument about why Harden fall, or one of the arguments about why Harden falls off in the playoffs or, you know, how much can you rely again uh, on Embiid as like the low post uh, fulcrum of your offense if a lot of it is he's going to get contact, he's going to get to the line. And then, you know, where where are you if the whistle is tighter and if you're not getting those calls, you need, uh, you know, sort of alternate options to do it. And a team like the Nuggets, I feel like you have to feel pretty good about where what they can do now, if for no other reason than. There's not a whole lot of uh, a whole whole lot that a defense can do to stop Nikola Jokic from getting to a good look, whether it's for himself or somebody else. And we've seen that in the playoffs. His production in the postseason has been remarkable. And Murray is that kind of player, too. And increasingly over the last couple of seasons, like you feel pretty good about him being able to pull a rabbit out of a hat against kind of whatever possession, uh, whatever defense that he's going to be seeing. So if you're able to do that and then also spread teams out more widely and create more open looks and be able to, as a third option, dump it to Porter who can get that shot against basically any wing defender he's going to be dealing with or, you know, get it to uh, a cutter like Aaron Gordon now who is going to be overmatching like fourth defenders. It's the, the the opportunities that they're going to have to generate something positive on a given possession. I think it's just multiplying. And so where we're at now is like, The easiest answer to the Western Conference is if LeBron and AD are healthy, that's that's the path goes through them. The more interesting thing as we go along is like, well, A, what if they're not super healthy? Because now it's getting late. It's getting late early. Right. And then B, there's all you know, how much does that Lakers team want to deal with Denver and the way that they can spread you. And then the size that they have to, to, to throw out now, how much does Denver now that they don't have Gary Harris and they're relying a lot on, uh, and also Torrey Craig being out like now, how much do they want to deal with, you know, Portland or other teams that have smaller guard or, or, or you know, the Suns teams that have smaller guards that you don't necessarily want to have to match up with. And I think you're going to wind up with the sort of like that rock, paper, scissors a little bit, uh, throughout the top six, top seven. And, I'm really excited to see how that, you know, not only just how teams, if teams decide they're going to start trying to monkey with the matchups, but also like how teams decide they want to approach those uh, weaknesses and try to like, or, or, you know, spam their strengths. I think like the, the tactics of that could wind up being really fascinating.
1: Absolutely. And the way that I've been thinking about it is the idea in the West of trust. So you have this collection of stronger teams in certain cases it's the Jazz where this is the best iteration of the modern Jazz and this, the Suns who didn't come out of nowhere but this is their first time in this space the Nuggets I've, especially with Gordon now like this is a it's a really interesting team I don't know I mean they were very good last year they were very good the year before that not discounting that at all so you have those teams where it's kind of and the, and the Nuggets. It's interesting how yes they made this amazing run to the conference finals, but there's also a part of me that's like they should have lost to the Jazz. Like they they absolutely like the Nuggets should have lost to the Jazz like that. And it's not in the same way as like the the Clippers series where they dug themselves out of the hole in a more clean way, even though they were behind in basically all those games too. But like the Jazz with the weird like it was a weird I think it was a five second call or an eight second call. There was a bunch of other stuff like they should have lost that series. Doesn't mean the bad. Doesn't mean the run is any less impressive. It's just the. Way To do that. So you have that. And so normally you would juxtapose that with these kind of established behemoths that maybe they have star talent or something else. And what makes this year's Western Conference so wild is that there shouldn't be trust in those teams either. I mean, so the Lakers. A, they're a different team than last year. You know, they lost some players that I thought were a, 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 an important part of what made them good, and that doesn't mean Dennis Schroeder is going to be terrible, or Montrezl Harrell doesn't doesn't match the moment, or Andre Drummond just doesn't make sense with this team, though I believe parts of those. But, <laughs> but it does, it, but also the health element, as you brought up, is just like LeBron is dealing with a high ankle sprain. AD has, you know, AD still hasn't made it back. I mean, this is, it, it, and we don't know what he's going to look like when he gets back, and they're going to be extremely judicious. And the Lakers, depending on where they end up, they might have a really challenging first round matchup, much less like a second or third. So they might be rounding into form, and I don't know that they have a sufficient margin for. Error. And then the Clippers, yeah, like I mean, I'm somebody who's believed in them on paper this whole time. I mean, I, it, and but anybody like me who believes in them just has this thing of like, well, they could have won last year, and they really, really didn't, <laughs> and and so and. They are an unbelievable jump-shooting team, and it's funny that, that they don't get the same—and there are reasons for this, but like they don't get the same kind of th- crap that the Rockets did at times, where it's like, oh, if you're a jump-shooting team, like you're more variable, and there's a chance that it's not falling, and it just doesn't work. And, that, and that's true. Like I mean, it's true of anybody, but it's true. The Clippers are unbelievably good at that, but they're— there, there's no guarantee that it is going to stick. And so that leads to this really weird circumstance where, like, I don't trust anybody. Like, I like everybody, <laughs> but I don't trust anybody. And, like, I mean, okay, so then you want to move down. The Mavericks? No. I mean, they. I think they were impressive in a series loss last year given the constraint of, like, where they were. And then the Blazers, I've I've never particularly trusted, and I think you know the as as a playoff team, like they're a wonderful regular season team. I love Lillard so much, but they're the that's just you know they're they're kind of always you know like a second or third tier kind of team in the conference, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just what they are, and then it's not like there's this also this. Really dangerous established team, you know, potentially making their way out of the play in like, yeah, I mean, the Warriors have a track record, but this isn't that team. And, you know, the Pels are really interesting if they can make it through the Grizzlies have been playing better recently. So part of it might end up with the styles makes fights idea that like certain teams will do well and poorly against others. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And then the other element of it is something where we will come to understand and accept something that we do not yet, which is that some of these, some of these things are more real and more viable than others. And the problem is that we'll need to remember this moment at that moment. And just like, because, (laughs) but I'm really interested. So like the Suns are a great example of this, the Nuggets with, with Gordon of where, like what things, are, what things are actually going to work and what things are not. And also remembering that it's not necessarily about who wins a series and by how much. It can be like, you know, did, were they able to get good shots, whether they fell, whether they fell or not. Like some, sometimes if you're looking, at, looking to the future, it's not necessarily about this team, you know, oh, they won the series in seven games. But like, I mean, maybe they, the way they won it wasn't particularly impressive. Like I think of Houston last year. Like that was something good that Rafael Stone did. Is it's like this team just isn't good enough. And there are times that are there, but then there will be other teams where it's like they were good enough; they just lost anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're talking about a, a top seven in the West, where the the, the lowest tier of that is going to be either Portland or Dallas, as you know, at where we are now, um, somebody, somebody, or, or multiple teams that are really good might lose in the first round, right? Like, like there's no, there's just there's no easy way around it. Back back to you know, when I was talking to the people in Denver, they were like, I mentioned that you know, the four or five right now is is Nuggets Lakers. And they were like aghast. They were like, that's like, no, that does not sound good. I do not want that. And I'm like, yeah, no, I totally understand that. But, and I think that's, that's true. Going to be true for everybody. Like, I don't, I think whatever permutation of those, uh, you know, those first round matchups come out, like, you're, there's not an easy path, and I, I mean it, the the jazz have done everything they can, or just about everything they can possibly do to convince us to believe in them, and I think that just because of the way people are, like myself included, like you still are going to need to see it, right? You, I, there's until there is an a, a body of evidence that they are going to be able to handle what is going what is coming their way from either the 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 guards who can beat up on a drop coverage uh, the defenses that can you know make life tougher on Mitchell and force those other complimentary ball handlers to be isolation creators or one-on-one initiators late in the game whatever like we've just seen it we've seen it not work just enough times to have our doubts as we go forward so like there's nobody as you said there's nobody that with with the exception of the Lakers there's nobody that you just you know uh, unerringly trust and the cool thing to me about that is that it provides an opportunity to, to, to kind of learn something new and to be able to just throw out your brain for a little bit. I know I, I'm terrible at that. I suspect you are as well. But like, if, if you get to a point where you're like, I have no friggin' idea what I'm what, what I'm gonna see now. Like, I don't know who, who I would be, you know bet on or bank on or whatever here. Then it's just kind of like, maybe at a certain point, it's just who can create that shot. And I think that's the thing, like Phoenix is interesting to me because they they have two guys that can do that. I know that Chris Paul has his, you know, closet of horrors in the postseason, but he's also got plenty of instances where he has created that shot. And I believe in him being able to hit it Book, Booker. I believe in the skill set and the, the temperament of him being the kind of person who can do that. I believe in Kawhi Leonard being able to do that. Paul George. I'm gonna believe in it, even though this is Lucy with the football or uh, Charlie Brown with the football, right? Like I'm gonna keep believing in it because I know the talent is there and I've seen him do it in the past at different points, even if he does not do it consistently. I believe in Jokic to do that. I believe in Jamal Murray to do that. Uh, obviously LeBron I, I, and AD, I believe in to do that. I believe in Damian Lillard's ability to do that. CJ McCollum, I watched you know rip the Nuggets' hearts out on their home floor in Game Seven two years ago. Like I. Luca has shown he can do that. All of these teams have guys you believe that can do that. So at a certain point, it might wind up coming down to just like as as boring a, a version of analysis as this is, like which guy is going to create that shot and which guy is going to knock down that shot. And like we can f- erect frameworks for like what which shot which shots make the most sense, and which offense generates the best uh chances of uh, quality of chances and which defenses are most efficient at taking those away at a certain point, it might just be like a quarter of an inch or a half second of a juke to to create an open opportunity for a guy to make a shot like that's kind of where the magic is right, and so like there's a chance that we're gonna get to see an awful lot of that in the first round and then as we move forward it might it might be a war of attrition after that, but I feel like in the first round, especially. You're just going to wind up finding out like which guys can do that. And that's pretty rad. I think that's that's pretty exciting.
1: It it really is. And the other kind of like cruel twist of fate in the Western Conference is that the Jazz haven't really had that many of the opportunities for those real like establishment games, partially because a, they've just happened to have a lot a lot of them against those teams without players that would, you know, basically it's like there's an easy way to discount it. So like they beat the Sixers, but M didn't play. They beat the Lakers, but AD didn't play. They played the Lakers twice in about a week and LeBron's almost definitely not going to be there. Maybe AD's not going to be there either um they beat they beat the clippers and then the next game they the clippers were close to full strength and the jazz lost like that doesn't it's it's just this weird it's it's like this it's like this season was designed in a lab to make us respect what the jazz are without giving the information necessary to feel more confident in them <laughs> in the situations so like it, it, like i mean you could also say it was designed in the lab just to like piss off jazz fans who care about what the national people think of them where it's like <laughs> you know so if, for for that because i mean this is an unambiguously great season i this is their best shot of taking down those teams but the idea of faith you know the idea of trust is just it's just not quite there because they haven't had these opportunities and because also Utah, in most of the circumstances, there have been a couple exceptions. When put into the circumstances that we thought would give them difficulty, those circumstances have given them difficulty. Like I mean, there were right. times there were times with that in the Suns game, um, that Clippers game I mentioned the second one where they just couldn't really they weren't really getting good shots. They were also missing good ones, but they, they're getting into that. And so it is such a such a fascinating dynamic. Um, but one thing I wanted to jump to is to a distinctly non playoff team was um we were talking about the Jokic and the kind of the theory of the Nuggets offense is you wrote recently about the Wolves and I mean Chris Finch was a part of the Nuggets franchise earlier you know he's bounced around since then and when I've been watching since Finch took over and especially really like once they they got closer to like kind of incorporating his vision mm-hmm. you're starting to see these inklings of things that while they don't have the same talent that Denver does of like well, that's why it worked there, and because Towns is so superlatively talented, why it could work offensively, offensively
0: there. Yes, underline that word. Oh, I think you know, I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, so my my idea or the the goal of me writing about them and sort of focusing on them was like like. I had written about Anthony Edwards as part of like a general rookie check-in, you know, I forget when, maybe like late January, like a month or so into the season. And I wanted to kind of see where the development track had gone since then. And especially like once they got Towns back and then once Finch sort of changed things around and – I think I mean the trajectory is moving north rapidly. Uh, it's still not efficient scoring, but it's the the volume and the 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 physicality and the ferocity of it is pretty impressive. And, and to go along with some increased playmaking and the way he's getting more comfortable with cat and all that kind of stuff. So very you know good things abound in terms of where Anthony Edwards is going. I think. But um, to your point, like Towns, and I thought other other people have said this too. I'm, just, I'm not like uh, breaking any new ground in me saying it, but that Towns provides so many opportunities in an offense because of the way he can shoot and the way he can pass. So it's, it has not always been featured to the degree that maybe it needs to in terms of his playmaking, but he absolutely can be one of those like elbow hubs or post up hubs that creates and and sprays the ball over the place while also being a high volume, like pick and pop, uh, you know, floor spreader that can create more passing lanes. Like, there's so many the, the 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 he's not as crafty exactly the same way as Jokic, but there's a lot of similarities in the way that that offense can operate. Um, and so I think so Finch makes a lot of sense as somebody who can orchestrate that and sort of coax more out of towns, and then also you, you take what's already there and use that to raise the floor for everybody else. But this is where like my like the, the most sort of uh, '90s Knicks fan uh, you know skull of mine comes through is like. None of that is going to matter if they continue to defend like this. Like, And, and I, 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 you try to get as much new information as you can and pay as much – try to keep an open mind and pay attention to all the different things and whatever. But like my take on the wolves has been the same for about three years I think because it's just like if you don't stop anybody and if you don't show any interest in, sh- in stopping anybody and any ability to stop anybody, then you're not – it's not going to matter. You can – like. The best case scenario for you is something like, I don't know what, like the Blazers, right? And that's that can be good. Like, that can be really good. But if you're the number one offense in the league and the number 30 defense in the league, your ceiling is only so high. I think getting there consistently for the for the Wolves, like, and they're obviously not even close to that. I think the, the – I haven't looked at the numbers since I wrote the, the piece the other day. But I believe that the Towns Edwards minutes, it's something like 112, 113 points per 100 possession. So around a top 10 offense, but not like top of the league so like they have a long way to go to even get there on on their best end it's just like if that can't be paired with something else some other idea for how you can get even to average or even like 18th in defense then uh, you know I, i'm i'm skeptical about how much it's all going to matter
1: and then the other challenge for minnesota is They're getting closer to the point where player thoughts and player agency matters because Carl Anthony Towns, yeah, he would presumably be leaving a lot of money on the table to go somewhere else. But if that's his prerogative, he absolutely can. And we're not at the point yet, you know, he's under contract for another few years. And maybe he just, if we don't even know if he's going to be eligible for a designated veteran extension, we'll just kind of depend on where things go from here, is... Let's say they make that kind of that incremental progress. And let's say like in two years, their best, like the reasonable best case scenario is like where the Blazers have been the last few years, which is far from a bad place to be. Right. But you get into then the variable of, is that enough for Carl Anthony Jones? You know, like, is that, and, and the answer can be yes. The answer can be like, Hey, this is so much better than it's been. I'm very happy with this, but it could also be, I'm in my late twenties and I haven't competed for anything yet. I would like to do that while I'm still an unbelievably great player. And in certain ways it could also be Towns looking at these similarly talented big men, and that it looks like they will most of them will have an opportunity greater than what he's going to do. So there isn't a right or wrong answer, and it depends on Carl Anthony Towns the person, something that I don't know well enough to to prognosticate. But That's the other thing that really concerns me about the Wolves is that they started from such a bad place. And a lot of that is not Gerson Rosas' fault. That's, you know, signing signing Andrew Wiggins to a max extension when he wasn't worth it and blowing a bunch of draft picks and, you know, having this expensive team that isn't very good and everything else. But, at a certain point, like it it's all of these things are going to come to a head one way or the other, and i don 't know it's it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out and I hope for Minnesota fans, I hope for everybody that it works out for the best. I hope they're so good that towns has to stay, you know like that he's like, oh obviously i 'm going to stay you know the the circumstance that happens and very and you know happens around the league sometimes like I, I hope that that is what happens but I don't think it's going to be what happens. <laughs>
0: um, I, I think, you know, there's a, a couple of points that I, I, I that made me think of um, one was just, it's like it, not to compare, uh, you know, and grown up NBA players to young, young children. But I was I was I was having a conversation with my daughter this morning as we were getting ready for school. And she was like, I mean, you're trying to be like, OK, we have to we have to get ready for school. And she's like, yeah, but this afternoon when I go out on a play date with this person and this person, can I bring X, Y and Z? I'm like. There's like many hours between now and then and many more thing many more things that have to happen between now and then for us to even be able to worry about like what you're bringing to the playground. So first, like it's shoes, right? Like let's start or it's brushing your teeth. We have to start with very basic things. So with Carl Anthony Towns being like, I'm ready to win now. It's like, that's awesome. You have to show that on the defensive end. Also and he, true. And and, and and to his credit. I think he has played better and shown more effort on that end in the last, you know, since he's returned from his his month-long COVID absence recently. I think he's trying to, you know, put action to words, but that that has always been the, you know, uh, original sin of this iteration of the Wolves. I think is like you've put you've invested in and you've put your faith in and you've built the franchise around players that are not defensive anchors, and that was Wiggins, and now it's Towns, and now it's also D'Angelo Russell. And I think that – so that part is like if you can show me that you can have a league average-ish defense with Karl-Anthony Towns at the center, then I'm starting to believe in a whole lot of other possibilities for what the Wolves can be. I haven't seen that consistently over the course of Towns' career. Even more recently, I think the the signs have been encouraging. But – so first there's that. Then it's can you maintain that? with D'Angelo Russell as the point guard. And that's obviously, you know, you saw it in Golden State. Like that is a much that is a tougher question to answer and a tougher um, burden of proof, I think. Um, Obviously, they have not had much of a sample to be able to prove it because of the you know myriad injuries and who's been in and out of the lineup. And since uh, Russell got to Minnesota at the 2020 trade deadline. But so it's it. Can you do that? with that pairing that Gerson Rosas obviously has prioritized as being like, this is going to be the central focus of our team. On top of that, you've now, you know, they extended uh, Malik Beasley. Obviously he's out again too. So they're not going to get a look at what that core looks like, Um, but he's part of the future now. And Edwards, the, the growth he's showing as like a primary usage guy alongside Towns or like a 1A usage guy along Towns, it makes me really interested to see what these last 20 or so games look like with Russell back now. And what is the role that D'Angelo Russell plays in a, you know, can, can everybody make it work? Uh, not, not just the, like there's only one ball thing, but like usage is not a, is a, is a zero something. It is not something where everybody gets to have 50% usage. There's a hundred percent. It's got to get whacked up somehow when everybody's sharing the floor. So Russell can be a spot-up shooter. He can be a guy that moves off the ball and creates. Uh, Edwards can be a cutter. Towns can be a floor spacer. How does it all work out? And can it – can you uh, you know be more than the sum of your parts there or is, is it just like the parts look good but the whole does not? And I think those questions of like what can the defense be around those tent poles and what can the – can the offense elevate each individual piece as opposed to being your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn – with diminishing results for the other complementary players as well, that's all going to decide what Minnesota is in the future. Um, And then I think the answers to those questions will determine where Towns wants to go on his play date.
1: Those are great points, and I want to add in one more, which is the challenge of... Even if the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, are the players who are in those parts and that whole satisfied with what their part is? Mm. And so especially if they still suck defensively, and so collectively they aren't reaching the level of success that they intend. So like the the friendship that exists off the court with Towns and Russell is another fascinating, complicating mm-hmm. element of this. Which is, do they, like, basically, like, let's say the optimized version, and I would argue this, the optimized version of the Minnesota Timberwolves involves a much larger role for Carl anthony Towns than he has had, and a smaller role for D'Angelo Russell than he has had and prefers. Not because D'Angelo Russell is bad, but because Carl anthony Towns is better. Mm-hmm. And let's say they do all that stuff, they have a top five offense, but their defense is still bad and they lose in the first round. Do those guys think, because... Identifying success like you know you and I can point to offensive rating or all these other things, and that's like an important part of part of what we do is explaining how things are and explaining what they can be. But sometimes players see it that way, sometimes they don't, and if you're not winning, then does it feel like it's as much of a success offensively, and are you willing to do all that and so I think that that's another weird possibility with wolves and numerous other teams is basically that it works but it doesn't work sufficiently for the players to actually be happy with it, which is a wild possibility.
0: Yeah. It's also, it's what happened in Minnesota with Butler, right? Like where the, the the, the, in, inarguably it is the most successful that franchise has been since Kevin Garnett left, but nobody liked how it happened. And, and and the people that they were building the franchise around didn't like how it happened. And so, I mean, there were other, other parts to that too, with, you know, Butler's extension, even or you know, needing a new contract and the Wiggins extension and all those sorts of things. But like, yeah, it's it's not. It has to be. You know, we talk about alignment a lot, right? In the context of uh, ownership, empowering a front office to hire a coach that isn't that is uh, enmeshed ideologically with the you know, with the the front office, and then you know procuring and empowering the right you know the right players to carry out the vision, and everybody being on the same page. That's a really hard thing to achieve when a nobody's really done anything yet. Multiple people have already gotten paid. And the one guy who maybe it seems like the, the the best role for him is smaller is also the only guy who's made an all-star team. Yeah. Right. So like it's, 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 there's the messaging of that and the, and how to uh, get everybody sold on the vision of what might make, what might work best, I think is going to be fascinating, especially because I think we, you know, we, the, the nature of the way that that core has come together indicates that. Gerson Rosas believes that D'Angelo Russell deserves that role, right? Right. Or or should, should be that guy. So if the GM thinks that, and the coach is going to coach that to that and the results on the floor don't necessarily uh, reflect that or, or suggest an an alternate possibility that he's a, he belongs in a smaller role and they need to feature Edwards more or whatever, how all the, how the rubber meets the road and all those things is, is really interesting. and, I mean I, I to you you know as you said earlier, like I, I would be really great to see growth in those players and in that culture and in the 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 you uh, the, the overall opportunity for what they can be in a similar way that you saw with you know we've seen with Phoenix the last couple of years where it's like obviously Chris Paul accelerated that, but that was happening before too. It was happening last season as well as they moved in a direction where it's like no no, no, like the coach got there empowered the star player the star player bought in and started doing more of the things that he didn't do before the young players all started to sort of develop and rise up together and then there was something to accelerate it would be awesome to see that happen with minnesota in a way that was like more holistic and uh organic and positive than it was when like tibbs just kind of hit the microwave and brought in butler and taj and then everything went from there but um i think you know it remains to be seen how much you can actually expect that to happen
1: yeah It is, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. Um, I know there are a bunch of other things we've talked about, but I like to end these, especially with somebody like you who watches, who watches so much is what are you looking for over the next few weeks? What teams are you going to be watching? What players, like what, what is, what is exciting you about where we are and where we're going?
0: Oh, that's really, that's cool. I, I mean, I, I, to some degree, like the like the the way that the Nuggets have looked with Aaron Gordon, like I want to that feels really important. And so I want to see how that is, how that continues to trend after the basically after the magic game where Gordon, I think was like 24 points on 10 for 13 or something like that. He has not he is like smaller role in the offense. He has not been taking as many shots. He's not been scoring as many points, but kind of checking off every other box. I kind of want to see where that settles is he like the fourth or fifth option and like how that all kind of continues to play out but uh the early returns there have been awesome so like I want to see that um I'd love to see a uh, I I mean it's it's difficult because Nurkic has been in and out he's you know out of the lineup again uh you know he's returned and I already had some issues when he came back last night and then foul trouble and stuff like that but I want to see just like a broader sample if possible of what Nurkic, Covington, Norm Powell, and then Damon CJ looks like together. I feel like it's the best chance they've got of being both overpowering offensively in a way that can, you know, just, uh, you know, challenge kind of whatever defenses are going to be able to throw at them. And then having Nurkic and Covington on the floor for longer stretches is their best shot at having even like a passable defense. So if they can get a track record and a sample together of what that looks like, um, I'm kind of interested in that. I'm a sucker for the Grizzlies. Um, I mean, they've had a good, really good week. They've had a good week, and they've also—it's just they are what, like at this point, like eleven or twelve deep, and they don't have Jaron Jackson back yet. Like it's—it's it's just the 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 way that that rotation continues to exist and evolve and shift and. Without a major piece and that they're still above 500 and still like very much in the mix for not only the plane, but like if everything, you know, if they get, get on a real heater here, maybe even pushing toward uh, a little bit higher in the conference. I I thought they were a really good candidate to make like a consolidation trade again, like they did last year with Winslow coming in and they didn't, they just kind of stayed with everything, moved off of Gorgie Jang to let him go play in, in San Antonio and then still have 12 dudes. And so like, how they are on a given night is kind of fascinating to me. And so I'm, I'm interested to see how, uh, how they continue to go. But I mean, the, the cool thing is the answer on that can shift basically every night because I mean, I'm a sucker for and and a big believer in the idea that there's something worth watching, kind of no matter what you're watching. Like, if it's bad teams, there's still something to be interested in. Like, the the Kings are not a good team, and the Kings have been like a very fits and startsy team. But over the last like six weeks, you know, De'Aaron Fox is averaging like 29 and seven, and you're like, what the hell is going on there? Like, this guy's and he's like on like 50% shooting, and it's like, oh my god, is this like a a rising like? real all-star now not like a guy who was on the fringes but like is this what that is and you know go on down the line like the thunder are like a cabinet of wonders what the hell are they on any given night there's there's so much weird stuff to watch on these teams like the thunder want to be bad and they can't get themselves too far away like they're trying to get far away from the play and they keep looking interesting and having guys play well it's it, it, there's all these sort of myriad weirdnesses uh as you go forward so I don't know like uh the 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 way that the the western like the middle of the pack in the West kind of shakes out, I think is going to be huge for determining what the postseason looks like. Um, And then I'll also be watching through like the, where you have like your hands over your eyes, but you spread your fingers a little bit to be able to see through uh, how the Knicks finish the season. That's, that is my preferred way to watch the Knicks (laughs) and and has been since I was, uh, since I was younger. But, as, uh, as somebody but, yeah. who
1: watched those two games that they played, was that last week in the '80s? Like, I get, I get that. Um, but <laughs> it, they've also they've had some real fun ones recently. Some that they won, some that they lost. Um, I'll add one more big one for me, and it, we're not going to be all the way there yet. But the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, yeah. So. I brought up the idea of trust earlier and made that about the Western Conference. But honestly, that same story is there in the East when you think about this Brooklyn group hasn't really played together at all this year. And mm-hmm. the Sixers, this is a different group, different different roster, different coach. But the same kind of – we talked a little bit about the conceptual limitations of like an MB centric offense in the playoffs. We'll have to see that and then the bucks of the bucks you know like yeah the the circumstance of like did they fundamentally change the things like i mean Drew Holiday has been awesome the last mm-hmm. little while does that change the trajectory for the bucks and it's true that the bottom of the East is much less inspiring than the bottom of the West so the ch- the challenges will be different and it's not all about who makes the NBA Finals and who wins the NBA Finals like that's there are plenty of different levels of success and plenty of different things that matter but I'm really like with Brooklyn it's it is a mystery that I have not yet begun to solve in terms of like where what they are as a playoff team because we haven't gotten the opportunity and a big part of that in this came up in your kind of like the 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 five teams watch after the deadline is we still don't know exactly like what Steve Nash wants like we know he's Mm -hmm. tried a bunch of stuff and we know the pieces that Sean Marks has has given him to work with but and Nash has been, and I credit him for this, he's been more open than most about what has what he has liked and what he hasn't. You know, like there was that moment when he started Blake and LaMarcus Aldridge together. I mean, they're so shorthanded. They're trying all this stuff, partially to try it and see what these guys have. And he's like, kind of like, I don't think we're going to do that as much moving forward. But especially a rookie coach, but really any coach, it, when they're in the process of figuring it out, especially when a team is this injury hampered is just like the idea of like um, Jared Dubin was on last week and he brought up this analogy that I really liked about that thinking of the theory that the Nets have four guys that he really likes, including Joe Harris is the fourth. Mm-hmm. And they have a bunch of different golf clubs, you know, like other players who do different things to be potentially right. the fifth guy, whether that's Bruce Brown or Claxton or LaMarcus or Blake or DeAndre Jordan or Jeff Green. And what we haven't found out yet, In terms of like when the rubber actually meets the road is what does Steve Nash want to do? Like what it it could because and sometimes you don't find that out until a team is trailing in a series like that's something that I've lamented about Steve Kerr at various moments times and he's far from the only one of the, well, he actually likes playing small, but doesn't do it until the team is down 2-1 or whatever in a series. Uh, I think that those questions for Nash are going to be so interesting, especially when you consider that there is not a clear answer and that answer might change based on context. So I think there will be games that Nick Claxton is the best fifth guy. There will be games that Brown or DeAndre or Jeff Green or something else. I mean, and there were games that it would have been Jared Allen, but he's gone. Right. And I think that. There is not that same question for very many other teams in that are that, are especially not teams with the level of aspirations that the Nets justifiably have. Like, that's what, a weird thing that I've talked about with the Lakers. Like, the Lakers, to me, it's kind of unambiguous that their best lineups have Anthony Davis at center and LeBron at the four. And I think that right. in certain ways, polinka did a bad job of building roster that. But maybe, A, they're so good that they overcome it, or B, their other guys are good enough that they'll be fine. But the Nets, we know a lot of it, but we don't know all of it. And we haven't even seen the things we know together very much. And so right. I think there is a significant chance that we enter the playoffs and I simultaneously pick the Nets to win the East and don't understand what the Nets are going to be in the playoffs.
0: <laughs> no, I think that's exactly right. I mean, my, if, you, if you asked me to bet, I would bet that what Steve Nash wants, you know, if, he, if, if you like give him, uh, you know, you, you get to pick your fifth guy to win a game, you know, Opponent X, whatever. What's this? What do you want? My guess is that it's either going to be Claxton or Blake at the five because he wants somebody else, either somebody that can switch on defense or somebody that can another creator or the guy that can like can make something happen with the ball in his hands offensively. So I, I would bet like there was a certain there was a point where the when the, when they were discussing the Blake signing or we were talking about where the fits would be and whatever, and people were just like, well, Blake doesn't make any sense because they need defense and they lost Jared Allen, they need another rim protector and Blake's not that, and I'm like. At a certain point, this is Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni running offense in the playoffs, right? So, yeah, give me a role guy who can make a pass and make and step out and make a shot, and gives you that offensive versatility. At a, I, I, I'm betting that when the you know when the the chips are down or when they have to make a choice, they're going to be like, we're going to try to outscore you. And Claxton maybe ch- maybe changes that because it just, just of how good he has been uh as a switchable defender but also like you get him the ball on the roll he's pretty nifty getting to the cup and like and also the the, the lob threat on the roll too like it still allows them to kind of get into their bag offensively while, while maybe elevating their floor on defense i think you're, you're going to see more like ceremonial starts and minutes for guys like deandre and, and lamarcus but yeah to to, the, to have reached this point where they've won like 70 percent of their games they've barely had their full complement of guys together um, the version of the team that we're going to see in the playoffs has not played together all together at all yet, and uh, that they're going to still be like favored to win is wild. It's really, really wild. So um I think maybe emblematic of the spot we find ourselves in with the league this year, you know, especially this year with, the shortened season and the compressed schedule and all of the COVID related absences and and in and out and what fans are going to be in what buildings and to what level and all that, the way travel has been and the way the restrictions are on the road, everything is like building on sand, right? Like as soon as you feel like you've got some sort of steady footing, something changes the, the, the dynamic. And so the Net, the nets are maybe like the perfect team for that uh, that kind of season. Like you know you you know what all is there. You know what the ingredients are, but you've yet to see the meal. And uh, I don't know. It'll be fun to watch Steve Nash try to cook it.
1: Yeah, it, I, I'm incredibly excited, and it's it's going to be an experience no matter what. And also the compressed timeline for the nets of you know they're all three of their guys having player options, not for this summer but next summer adds this degree of urgency, which is so different. You know, like this isn't a, it, 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 it just, and because you have, you've had two of those guys that have left other situations and, you know, at other moments of time and left good teams before. So we'll see, we'll see what they want, but I'm, it's going to be awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure.
0: Oh, Danny, it was my pleasure to be here. It was cool to catch up with you.
1: Thanks again to Dan Devine for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at The Ringer. And of course, you can also follow him on Twitter at your YourManDevine, Y-O-U-R-M-A-N-D-E-V-I-N-E. Love talking with him. And there is something that I enjoy about people who like kind of watch the whole league in a similar way to what I do and just kind of what they're picking up And especially after the deadline, I thought Dan's piece on that was particularly good. And kind of some of the directions, like we talked about the Wolves and everything else. I I really enjoyed the conversation – if you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode. That is particularly appreciated. And since this show comes out different times, that's a great way to get into it. You can't really know, oh, it's Thursdays, you can't get into a schedule. So that's great. Also, you can help other people find the show, whether that is word of mouth or leaving a rating review in the podcast, player you're choosing, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just like you can subscribe wherever you can also leave reviews. And that helps other people find the show, which we really do appreciate. You can also check out my other work. Nate Duncan and I are doing Dunked On, Dunked On Prime. So public episodes Sunday evening slash Monday morning and then subscription after that and we're also doing the NBA cast which is a live broadcast th- with League Pass every Monday and that's a lot of fun and so you can always you can always check those out we of course tweet that out plenty so you can take a look at it there lots of fun stuff going on in the league and of course in the broader stuff we'll probably do a draft and tournament thing at some point soon but it'll just be you know it'll be with San It's just kind of I, he, I think he's going to take a little bit of time off as much 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 deserved at this point um so we'll see when i get there but There will be a Real GM Radio next week, and uh, hopefully you will enjoy it. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, nba at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise, and I'll respond if I can. Um, I'm not admittedly the greatest about that, but I always read them. It's something I do every single day if something comes in, and I take it to heart and everything else. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day.